Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is a conversation I had myself less than 24 hours ago with Latin American journalist Nicholas de Leal. Listeners will remember Nicholas as the contributor who covers Latin America for us, and he's an excellent journalist. Uh, lifting the paywall on this very quickly, because obviously events are taking place this weekend in Brazil that we should all be paying attention to. But here's the part I have to ask you for your support. We need you to put your hands in your pocket to allow us to have these conversations and keep those voices coming from different parts of the world that you maybe won't hear on other mainstream media outlets. And for that, you get a ton of extra content. Right now, this week, there has been two shrapnels. So Danielle Roberts spoke to the lads uh, and also Gareth and Sam decided that, you know what, there's a lot happening. And they were going to sit down and do their own sort of update on where things are and what's the likelihood of a pre-Christmas election. They're available right now on the Patreon feed, as well as my conversation with Rory about preparing for the Dublin Marathon. The conversation with the CEO of DePaul about dealing with homelessness and the crisis that has never been as bad as it is right now. There's also a great conversation with Gavin Elliott of Threshold on the eviction ban and the law of unintended consequences. And our most popular podcast this week was my conversation with Sock Dems TD Holly Cairns around the mother and baby homes redress scheme. And uh, obviously Holly has been playing a blinder in put holding the government to account on this. And she was a powerhouse. Uh, so yeah, our listeners really enjoyed it. All of those are available right now on patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is in the podcast you're listening to right now. It would make a world of difference to us if you click on it and see if there's a level that you're happy to support us and keep this going. I won't delay any further. This is my conversation with Nicholas Dale-Leal. Please give it a listen. I think you'll find that maybe there's a little bit of optimism in it, even if we're still a bit nervous. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and I'm back flying solo. Uh, Get well soon, Baldy. Look, listen, folks, we've been trying to be positive on the podcast for the last little while. It's not always that easy. Um, We try to look at events and we say, you know, what, what? Where is the change coming from? And we've been looking through our fingers at events, obviously, in Ukraine and with Putin's invasion. We've been looking at, you know, Europe behaving appallingly when it comes to the refugee crisis. We've been watching uh, the UK Tory politics meltdown, to be kind about it, and a deepening polarization. But we've some of the things that we've seen that have been positive we have watched and witnessed the uh, the first leftist government in in Colombia with with uh, Gustav Petro, and then we saw in the Brazilian presidential election, potentially we thought and maybe we were a little bit ahead of ourselves that there was going to be another move back towards the left in Brazil, uh, and maybe maybe just this Sunday we'll get there, and that's why I'm delighted again to be joined by. By journalists in the in the region, Nicholas Dalyal. Listeners will have heard Nicholas a few times, and he has always given us a fair and and frank account of events and how the, how he sees them. Nicholas, thank you for talking to us again. Thanks for having me again. No, it's a pleasure, and and thanks. And I know uh, it's what it's eight a.m. there in the morning, so we got you up, and I hope you've had a cup of coffee or whatever. And, and but um, do you mind me asking now? What I my understanding right now is we we obviously saw. You know, Lua versus Bolsonaro. We 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 had a optimism the last time we spoke that maybe we this wouldn't even go to the runoff. That was where where it was. But there was a quiet, unspoken vote. It, it appears now for Bolsonaro. And looking at the polls as we head into Sunday, it's too close to call. Yeah, it really is. Sort of that that uh, positive uh, idea that we had in the first round. Sort of really has has gone away, and now it's just nervousness. Uh, it's 
as you said, too close to call. Uh, it seems to be all well, I mean, technically now the polls are are saying a technical uh, draw. So it's uh, statistically too close it, to call. Yeah, if you were to say, like, just for poll nerds, the, the gap between the two candidates now is within the margin of error. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that margin of error uh, is roughly the same as the percentage of undecided voters. Uh, so let's say a vast majority of voters have their um, their candidates uh, clear, no? From the first round. So really, this last month of campaigning has been to, in order, has been uh, to, you know, attract that 5% of undecided voters. However, uh, they seem harder to, to seduce than, than expected. A lot of them seem to be uh, going to vote uh, on blank because they're not happy with either of the choices, even despite the fact that uh, Simon uh, Tebet and Ciro Gomez, the candidates that finished third and fourth with around 5% of the vote each, they have both given their support to Lula, but their supporters, it's a different story. A lot of them don't support Lula and won't. Most of them don't support Bolsonaro and won't. And that means really abstention or the people who didn't vote in that first round are the ones who are going to decide this second one. So that's also where there's been like very big political uh, mobilization to, to get those people out to vote uh, in different ways, just by convincing them, but also by making it easier to vote uh, because that's been something that is very difficult in a big country like Brazil. So talk with- about that. Talk about that for a moment. Like, cause you know, we keep hearing this and it's, it's, it's strange to, to an Irish ear that, you know, if I want to vote, I walk up to the local school, I tick the box, I hand in my thing and off I go. Um, it does seem a lot more complicated and it's becoming more complicated in different, in different countries around the region. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's sort of two factors that, that uh, play into this. So one is, uh, just uh, accessibility. So, you know, for many communities that are in the jungle or, uh, just in the countryside, in Brazilian countryside, one must say, which is, you know, multiplied by 20. So the distances that are needed to cover to get to, to your voting station uh, can be immense. Uh, so that's one thing. A lot of the times there's not even roads, so maybe you have to go by river, etc. But also it's a, a, a financial thing. Uh, for many people, uh, catching that bus that costs 150 in euros uh, can be too much to 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 bear it could be a full day's wage for many people yeah. when you think when you consider it like when you're talking about certain parts and and so economically it's difficult geographically it's difficult but is there also kind of political pressures then to to make it more difficult for those communities because we you know we you hear in the u.s about vote by mail and um, mm. vote by you know all these other as there's no aspects there's no availability of, of alternatives uh, no, not really. The, the voting system is electronic in Brazil. Uh, there's 570,000 voting machines in the country. So that's like a very big operation. 
uh, and it, it's pretty robust despite Bolsonaro uh, peddling some some. Uh, oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. But um, there's not really been, um, a, you know, a gerrymandering or anything to yeah. to to uh, make it harder to to vote. But there has been uh, some measures to make it easier to vote. Uh, uh, proposed and applied mainly in cities controlled by uh, the the workers party lula's party uh, which is making free buses on the day giving free transport basically on the day bolsonaro very against that because he considers that that's gonna support uh, lula's base which he's probably right uh um and you know, in the places that are controlled by Bolsonaro governors or Bolsonaro mayors, that's not going to happen. So that's as much as you have. Uh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But, and we see that even even in, in Irish constituencies where they talk about get the vote out. You know, certain parties were great at getting the vote out where they, they arrive. With, it could be a minibus just to bring people to the to the to the to the polls and, and away they go. Um, yeah. yeah so, so that's that's not unusual. But what is unusual? Is the violence, Nicholas? There's been, like, I mean, it's it's not it's not even just violence. There are there are people dead now. Um, do you want to just give me a bit of a background on that, if you don't mind? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think first of all is that uh, Brazil is a highly violent country. Uh, the murder rates are really quite high, even within the region. Uh, so that's that's already there. No, uh, and throughout the political campaign, it's been highly polarized. Bolsonaro in particular uh, using a very you know violent rhetoric and his supporters buying into it completely and those supporters are heavily armed a lot of them are ex-military or police uh, so they're quite happy to to shoot um, and really what has happened is uh, there have been some confrontations but uh, they it has been sold and maybe correctly to be sort of isolated events that being said they should be minimized but but uh, it seems to be just you know isolated confrontations between uh, supporters of the different parties that end in uh in in, a, in an assassination can, uh, can, can i just want uh, this is i'm not asking you to comment on this in case you you know because you have that thing called journalistic integrity but i find it quite strange to be reading some of the reports where the report keeps doing this, the, the famous Trump thing, both sides, both sides, both sides. And yet the violence and the the worst suffering seems to be very much on the Lula side. You know, it, yeah. it's obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's that's for sure. Um, as I said, the Bolsonaro supporters are definitely more likely to be trigger happy and violent just because of their own profile, which is mostly ex-military uh, and and just uh, sort of the, their own ideology. That being said, there has been a Bolsonaro supporter that was stabbed to death. Bolsonaro himself was stabbed four years ago uh, during the campaign. So uh, despite I'm not despite myself not being convinced by both sides uh, that that rhetoric, uh, it must be said that that it's not all. Uh, down to to Bolsonaro, as it may be in the U.S., I would really say 
uh, it's all sort of Republican uh, violence, and there's really yeah, no the, and, and, uh, and 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 they made out, you know, oh well, they were infiltrated by Antifa and stuff like this. But yeah, I, I, in the wider sense, though, within the region, like Brazil is huge, like the economy is huge. I think it's the depend on who you read. You know, you're talking somewhere between the um, ninth largest economy in the world. Other other will say maybe the twelfth, but somewhere in there, you know, and then. The, the most populous nation in, in Latin America, the, you know, 70th highest GDP. And yet inflation's out of control, much like across the globe. Poverty is actually getting worse. Food insecurity is getting worse. So what is the, like, what's really at stake here? What is the at stake for both Brazil and within the, the wider Latin America? Yeah. Well, uh, I think within, within Brazil and in the elections, it's really very internal. Uh, there is at the back of people's minds and the back of mainly Lula's uh, position, a sense of restoring Brazil's position in the international community, uh, which has been completely lost by Bolsonaro, who's like isolationist, anti-globalization, uh, and frankly, an embarrassing leader at the, on the world stage. And I think Brazilian voters really do see that, and can, and that, that's a factor. That being said, uh, it's all it's all internal because, as you said, inflation's uh, really really high. Uh, if we look at some numbers specifically of this year, thirty three million people are going hungry in Brazil, which is a uh, fourteen million more than last year. So it just shows how much it's going. It's a fifty percent growth. That's that's yeah. that's phenomenal. Fifty nine percent food insecurity. Uh, so that's also massive. So really, the, the the Brazilian problems mainly are internal, and those are the need, the ones that are needed to be addressed. Uh, but of course, in the region, it's impossible not to to be uh, very very interested and worried about what's going to happen in Brazil because they are drivers of everything. No, uh, they're the biggest commercial uh, partners of various countries in the region. They um, are strategic partners in most of the policies uh, that you know are wanted or want to be implemented in a region-wide uh, sense. So it's really important for countries like maybe Colombia with its new uh, government or uh, Chile with its government, and in general to to see Lula come back because that support of having someone like him. Uh, back in office in Brazil is going to shift the regional tide for good. If Bolsonaro uh, wins, then it's going to be very hard because the the tide that Brazil takes is very very large. Yeah, it's 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 no exaggeration to say this is a hugely important election, hugely important because you I mean you're talking about potentially. Yeah, a no, it's it's. Uh, Right, a right-wing autocratic government, or or we end up with you know potentially a, a move. And I wouldn't call Lula, Lula, Lula um, a big socialist either. By the way, there's there's a there's a more moderate kind of uh, social democrat in, in in there. But but you know we it's it's really crucial. And when you talk about the the how populous the area is, how many people are involved, food insecurity makes no sense. And you know, we see reports from the UN uh, in the last 24 hours about about climate change and how it's it's uh, it's completely wrapped up into whatever economic model we have. Bolsonaro 
doesn't give a shit. Let's put it. Let's be pl- blunt about it. This is also the battle for the Amazon as well. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Uh, that's also definitely something that's on the cards. Um, again, maybe in Brazil, uh, internally slightly less just because hunger speaks louder. Definitely. Uh, so that's the big thing, uh, that's being played out. And also, well, it's very sort of personalized narrative, but the environment is a very big point as well. Um, especially for the international community because, uh, Brazil has the, the biggest amount of the Amazon basin. Within the last four years, deforestation has uh, really exploded. And in contrast, when Lula was in, protection uh, was, was made so much stronger and more effective. So uh, it's really important for the Amazon and for the environment that Lula gets this win. Um, and that's going probably to be a regional thing in Colombia, which also has a big part of the Amazon basin, uh, it, it's seen as crucial that uh, Lula gets that in order to protect uh, uh, together the Amazon. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, again, and I, I fully expect, I fully accept that hunger is much more important. You know what I mean? People need to be fed. People need food security. People need decent wages and they need that but but you know if you you can't you can't really care about environmental causes if you're hungry okay we we know that and we know that's where the inequality comes from but what we also know is that brazil has spent a long time producing more millionaires uh, every few hours you know as one of the emerging economies while e- while inequality was growing so i suppose the, the last question is that's that's also something that's typical unfortunately of Latin America in terms of, and then, you know, we talk about the developed world's extractivism. You know, I, I saw the global um, Alliance for Tax mm-hmm. Justice talking about it yesterday about the extractivism model. Do you, do you, if you were to, if I was to put one sort of big question to you, do you feel as a region, if this, if Bolsonaro loses, that we may actually tip the balance for the region to to come back to tackling inequality as opposed to becoming an ex- an area that is just extracted of its wealth for by the, the so called developed um, uh, south. Uh, it's hard to t- hard to say, mainly because of the the international situation as well. Uh, moving things very drastically probably isn't the wisest thing in the unstable world we're living in. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there will be a drastic thing. As you said as well, Lula is more of a social democrat and he's moderated even more uh, because his party has been uh, villainized uh, massively. So really, he's running on a personal platform, trying to, to get the party... Uh, away from the the limelight as much as possible and really the party which is the workers party is what symbolizes that sort of more strong left-wing ideology and he himself is trying to play more moderate cards uh so i i consider it unlikely to be uh, a massive uh shift that being said well as a social democrat there will be more a uh, a uh, sort of care for 
those sectors of society that are completely forgotten by uh, Bolsonaro and this uh, like ultra liberal uh, ideology that he he processes uh, economically. Um, yeah. The, the the last thing is, and we've do you remember? You remember four years ago, five, four and a half years ago, when we kept hearing the the uh, Trump of the uh, the the Trump of the tropics, the Trump of the of of uh, the you know all of these stupid fr- um, phrases were used, but we have heard statements from Bolsonaro saying, you know, yes, uh, I'll accept the, I'll accept the results when I win. <laughs> Which is exactly what Donald Trump said. Uh, you know, uh, of course, I'll accept results when I win. And actually, it's funny enough, I think I, I heard one of the the uh, Senate uh, candidates in the midterm elections in the US this week using the exact same phrase in Georgia, I believe it was, I will accept because I'll have won. And it's, uh, you know, if and it, therefore, if I do, didn't win, something illegitimate happened. Yeah. That's a dangerous rhetoric. And that is still playing out. It, it, I, do you re- genuinely feel there's a chance that if he doesn't win, we could have we could have violence? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that is uh, the biggest fear uh, for 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 these elections, without a doubt, um, because the polls do suggest there's a fine uh, uh, <coughs> advantage for Lula, uh, and and that that we might say that it's slightly more likely that Lula wins and these this rhetoric um of of casting doubt on the electoral system has already been seen violence has already been seen uh, bolsonaro's uh, supporters as i mentioned at the beginning are mostly ex military um and heavily armed um so so yeah i, I think it is a very big possibility once the president has been set in the U.S. with uh, the January 6th um, uh, situation, I think in Brazil that is that is a possibility. Unfortunately, that 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 something of that nature will happen. Um, and this the the big fear there, I have to add, is that considering Bolsonaro's voting base or electoral base are the security forces mm-hmm. uh, i would venture and his ba- and, and his background where he emerged from is yeah it's, yeah he's he's a he's a retired uh, army captain uh, in fact he was uh, kicked out of the forces for mm-hmm. for um some irregularities i don't want to specify because i can't remember but <laughs> Uh, uh, he's not going to sue us in Dublin, but it's no. okay. Uh, but, but yeah, I think the fear there is that in the institutions in Brazil that would be in charge of stopping, you know, an mm-hmm. uprising like that might support uh, the uprising. Uh, whereas in the US, thankfully, the, the institutions held mm-hmm. and and the police and the army and and uh, the special forces that were sent into the capital did their job correctly. Uh, I have a fear that that might not happen in Brazil. It's not massive because I think uh, they that sector do realize that you know effectively uh, staging a coup 
is probably the worst thing that they can do for the country. Mm-hmm. But for many, a Lula government is the worst thing that could happen in their minds. Uh, so I think it is a possibility. And that's how polarized the situation is. Uh, the uncertainty is really high. I wouldn't say it's a high probability that something like that could happen. But I think it's a possibility and, and it's on the cards. Yeah, on on that cheery note, we're going to leave it there and we hope to talk to Nicholas next week and maybe we'll have better news for you folks. And uh, But I do, like the polls are too, 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 within the margin of error. Lula is in the lead, like is in the lead marginally. And, you know, yeah. if everything plays out and the processes and the structures hold up, which they tend to do, let's not forget this. Like, I mean, yeah. Br- Brazil is a, a world economy on the world stage that needs to, to do this. But... I also, uh, you can tell by this, by the tone of my voice, I'm also nervous coming into this. I mean, we, we, when we talked about Petro's run in, in Colombia, Nicholas, we were kind of, you know, crossing our fingers and hoping that this would, you know, that this would do, that this would go there. I think I was too optimistic the last time I spoke to you thinking that we, we wouldn't get to this mess, but here we are. And if it, if the, if it's, if the water is so, the margin of, of victory is, is so shallow. They'll, they'll certainly muddy that water. There's no doubt in my mind that that's what will happen. Thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us. I know you have to get off to work yourself, uh, and, uh, we, we've, uh, we've kept you long enough. So we really appreciate your time. Uh, listen, folks, check out Nicholas stuff. You can follow him on Twitter. The link is in, in this podcast and, uh, we'll talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.